This is a TBN UK podcast. In this series, you can hear some of the interviews from TBN Meets, where faith meets culture. Hear from Christian ministries, innovators, authors, artists, and creatives. Hi, TBN family, and welcome to this very special edition of TBN Meets. We are in the amazing Portcullis house, and we are interviewing today Reverend Rose Hudson-Wilkins. She's about to be the first black female bishop in the Church of England, and we're really excited to be able to hear more about that and her ministry. Welcome, Rose. Thank you. So we are here in the beautiful Portcullis house, and this is somewhere where you work amongst MPs. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, when you entered, you came into, um, you entered the Palace of Westminster through wow. Portcullis House. You are now in Speaker's State Rooms. Wow. So all part of the, the Palace of Westminster. Um, this is my ninth year wow. that I've been here, nine years. And uh, um, as the chaplain to the Speaker of the House of Commons, my role means that I'm responsible for the pastoral well-being of not only the members and staff of both houses, but, but all in the parliamentary estate. And that's quite a few souls to be taking oh, care of. thousands, <laughs> thousands. And every day when the House sits, I lead prayers in the chambers. Okay. Um, every day. I don't do prayers in the Lord's. Because, of course, the bishop sits in the Lord's and they take turns leading their own prayers. But I do the prayers here in the Commons Chambers. We have a beautiful chapel. And in the chapel as well, I lead services of Holy Communion. I do weddings and baptisms. So it's actually like having a normal parish. But just... Um, <laughs> exercise, but it's just in this unique public space. And how do you find, I tend, some people probably say MPs, do they believe in Jesus? But you must see a whole different side of them. What is it like working with them in this way? Yes. Well, actually, parliamentarians are a microcosm of the rest of the society. So in the same way, out there in the world, out there in society, we have people from all different faith backgrounds. We do exactly the same here. There are people here who are Christians or Muslims or... Jews who are Hindus, you know, from all different backgrounds. And also, just like we have in the wider society, mm. people who have no faith. Yeah. You know, people who will say they're humanist or they're atheist or, you know, so you're working with uh, a whole variety of interests. Now, you mentioned just a bit ago that you lead prayers. Mm. And one of the things that you introduced was actually making some changes to the prayers. Ah, Can you yes. tell us a little bit more about yes. that? Well, prayers have been said for over 300 years wow. in this place. And, uh, and some of the, the prayers, well, the prayers have been saying day after day after day, um, year after year after year. And uh, there was a time when after I was appointed that I felt I wanted the prayers to be living. Mm. I wanted the prayers to reflect where we were, what was happening. And so from time to time, I'm able, I made that change and, and enable the prayers, I think, to speak into mm. where we are now. So when we had the riots, for example, um, you know, prayers around that if there was something happening nationally, internationally, 
and you know for us just not to be saying prayers because we've always said these prayers but actually to recognize what is happening around us and to lift those issues before God. But not everyone agreed with that, did they? No, no. There were a few people who were, oh no, she's changed her prayers. But what is interesting, and I should tell you now, is that a number of those people have come back to me and said, I wrote to the speaker (laughs) to complain that you had changed your prayers, but I want you to know that I now love the prayers that you do. They sound so real. And isn't it amazing how history often looks kind, more kindly on the change makers than the people who are in the space at the time. What, what is it about humans that fights well, change so much? Well, I, I, you know, I think throughout history, you, human nature hasn't really changed. And so we are likely to repeat the things. You know, we say history shouldn't repeat itself. or Sometimes we don't want history to repeat itself. But invariably it does, because we probably never quite learn. Um, and so we end up in, a, you know, in certain situations. Now, you've been, you felt the call to ministry when you were just 14 years old. Now, that was a time when women weren't priests. So did it seem out of reach? What at that time was the big pull? How did you, how did you know that this was it? Mm. Do you know, I recall this overwhelming sense that God was calling me. And it never occurred to me that it was silly for God to be calling you to something that didn't exist. I think my thinking back then was that if God was calling me to this, then God would make it possible. And so all along there was this trusting sense that God, you have called me. I'm actually going to let, I can see with my own eyes that it doesn't (laughs) exist, but I'm going to be faithful to that calling and leave you to work it out. And it was worked out and eventually. 14, well, yeah, 14 is quite young. So what mm. was the process? Because then obviously you're at school and mm-hmm. what do you want to do for a career? Well, I think I feel called to a job that doesn't exist. What was, mm-hmm. what, how did those kind of conversations mm. go? Um, yes, I was at school. You know, I was baptized uh, within the Church of England or the Anglican Church when I was less than four months old. So I was brought up and nurtured within the the Christian faith in that setting. And you had uh, um, wonderful Sunday school teachers who were devoted in sharing the gospel. So at a very early age, I learned the names of the books of the Bible. We could recite them, the books of the Bible, our Genesis, you, know, you said all six to six. And, you know, there were Bible verses that we had to learn, memory verses as part of Sunday school. and. So there was a real time of growing and excitement. So when one had the sense that you were called, it felt very normal. You know, I know in this country, we don't talk about faith. You know, it's very private. It's not so growing up in the Caribbean. Faith is lived in a real way, in a very open and ordinary way. It's like breathing. So we would hear the adults around us say, in God me trust. Yeah. In other words, in God I trust. Or the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And he always did. You know, so you grow up with that sense of it is okay to talk about faith, mm-hmm. to talk about God. And, uh, and, and so it is very normal to say, I want to do this. I think God wants me to do this. Very normal. 
Now, my parents are both Jamaican mm, as well. Yes, so yes. you definitely grow up with that sense mm. of discipleship yes, being very yes. much at the core yes. of your lived life. Mm. And I think discipleship is something that the church here is now really catching on mm. to in a much more meaningful way. What do you think people in churches are hungry for right now? I think what we are hungry for as a church is living what it means to be the people of God. If I jump into a taxi, invariably, because they see my dog collar, they engage me in conversation to do with faith. And sometimes they'll say to me, oh, the church is dying, you know, it's all doom and gloom. And I'm very keen to say to them, actually, this is God's church. And if it is God's church, then it is not dying because God will not allow his church to die. God's message of love, the gospel of the good news, it will always be told. It might change in different places, but the message will always be told. So there is a real sense in which I think um, the church right now needs to recognize that this belongs to God and that God will equip us. We need to trust God to equip us. But then we need to play our part by going out by living it. So usually at the end of our Eucharist, we'll say the words, um, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. And I, you know, normally I say to congregations, I hope that this is not just words, but that this can be real and lived. And it is so, so, you know, as you said, with liturgy, sometimes we can just say it, say it, say it. And really, when you say yes. the words just now and I hear them, let's go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Inside, actually, you go, yes. yes. Absolutely. And then Monday morning, exactly. we go, oh, am I, am I living it? But that's, yeah. there is so much power in liturgy. Mm. More power than sometimes I think we give credit yes. to because yeah. we want to be free and charismatic and there's nothing mm. wrong with that, but there's a lot of power in that yes. too. Yes. But you yourself are a change maker. <laughs> so how do you advise people who do feel like, you know what, I do want to go out in the power of the Holy mm. Spirit. I believe these words to be true. Mm -hmm. How do they make a change in their church, in their community? How can people be dynamic yes. in their spaces? Yes. You, you mentioned and used a very good word, dynamic. You know, the liturgy ought to be living. You know, what we sing and say on Sunday ought to have meaning in our lives. And actually, if it doesn't have meaning in our lives, then we're wasting our time. If we're not going out in the power of the Spirit, because the faith is not about us, it is about sharing the good news. So we've received it, we tell it. We're going to tell it and equally important, we're going to live it. And do you think that sometimes as Christians, we're a bit afraid, afraid of what the response to yes. us living out our faith will be? Yes, I think we live in, in fear and we ought to change that. You know, God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we need to claim that and live it. And you have lived it. So there are some amazing stories <laughs> about you, one of which of um, at your, when you were at your parish and the roof was not, oh, yes. nobody was paying any attention yes. and you moved into the, the roof. The, so tell, us, <laughs> tell us what was yes. going through your mind at the minute when you, when you well, were climbing? I was cross. I was cross. I was cross that here was this beautiful place of worship and the fact that the church is that one place in the community 
where when people are in danger, when people need help, they come to. And yet, you know, they are happy to restore the houses and happy to restore this, that, and use money to dig up the thing, the pavements and redo different um, tiles and all sorts. But no one wanted to help the church to be restored. And so I walked into church that day, water, it was like a river running through it. And in my rage, I thought, right, I'm going to climb onto the roof. I want to draw attention to the fact that this is... <laughs> and you did. I did. I <laughs> and did. A bit of a Nehemiah moment there, yes. wasn't it? Rebuilding the ruins. Now, the exciting news then, and you know, as I was sharing, we as a team were excited by these news and why we're so excited to speak today. You're about to become the first female, mm -hmm. black female bishop in the Church of England in this country. Now that's quite an appointment. What did you feel like at the moment when you received the news? I wept. I wept, literally. Um, I didn't believe it was, I was hearing what I heard. Mm. Yeah. I, I never expected it to happen. I really didn't expect it to happen. And, and I think that's quite sad, really, mm. to be part of a church where you cannot expect that people who look like you will be in that leadership role. And what do you think is still the barrier? And it, not even just in our own minds, because if we look across the church, we can see there are clearly barriers because we can mm. see mm. what the leadership looks mm. like. Does mm. it reflect the modern church? What is the thing that we need to change? What is it that we need to start thinking about as a church and, and praying about as a church? As a church, we need to claim the reality that we are all God's children, not just the white ones or the blue ones or the pink ones but the black ones and the gray ones mm. and the brown ones. I, I think in society, we need to ask ourselves the questions. When we don't see a diverse leadership in society, the various organizations in society within the church, we need to ask the question why. And it cannot be that we have no one from a different background apart from white who are able and capable. Cannot be. And so if it cannot be, then it means something else is happening. And we need to be willing to, to name it and challenge it and say this is unchrist-like yeah. and then do something about it. What are we so afraid of? I guess this is what I, I, I ask myself this question all the time. I come from a news background. I'm in this background. I'm church, born and bred. Yeah. What are we all so afraid of about mixing? I, I'm, I'm not sure what we're afraid of. I'm very lucky to have been born mm. and brought up in Montego Bay, Jamaica, yes. <laughs> because there I could see images of myself in all walks of life. But there also I could remember and still remember that the motto of Jamaica is out of many one people. So it didn't matter whether someone looked Chinese, they spoke Patois yes. and they were very much Jamaican. <laughs> you know, we were all Jamaicans. We didn't have to sign any paper to say what we are. It's only since I came to this country that I suddenly have to, um, to, to fill in a form to say what 
I am. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I'm a human being. Yeah. You know, I'm not <laughs> a different not a box species. For that yet, is there? <laughs> yes. We're not a different species. So until we stop the nonsense about different races, we're just one human race. We have different ethnicities because of where by accident geographically our foreparents um, came from. Our foreparents was African and you know, and we know the story of that. We know that they were forcibly removed mm. from Africa and enslaved in the so-called new world and that we are a product of, mm. of that. Um, but, you know, sin is at the heart of that. Yeah. Sin is at the heart of any um, uh, society that enslaves another part of society. Sin is at the heart of any society that says you're not good enough because of the color of your skin, because you speak a different language, etc., etc. So I think as a church, whether it be the Church of England, the Pentecostal, the Roman Catholic, whatever uh, ecumenical's um, home we are from or in, it is the church's responsibility to make a difference, mm. to do something different, to show that we are truly the body of Christ. So on the 19th of November, when you actually become the role model that you probably didn't have and that so many people are looking for, what do you hope will be kind of the lasting testimony in people's hearts on that day and the days to come? You know, I, I, I've never really looked at it since then, since I was, it was a, a announced that I was going to be a role model. But I, I, I guess in a sense, yeah. you know, whether you like it or not, that's what you are. Um, I think that I want people to say, I want them to look and say, if she can do it, I can do it too. I want people to go with that level of confidence that this is not just hers, but this belongs to me too. And it belongs to all of us. All of us, yes. Because we feel so proud as if, as if you know, you're part of our, you. well, you are now part of our TVN yes, family, yes, but yes. it's just so, it's an exciting moment for the church mm. history. How mm. does the church continue to push on from this yes. point? Because this is one thing, but for there are many people sitting in pews yes. up and down the country perhaps feeling frustrated, what can the church do? You do? know, only if the church learns the lesson. If the church learns the lesson from the reaction and the response from it, then the church will know that this is what is needed. Yeah. This is what is required. We can no longer have a church that is devoid mm. of black people and pink people and blue mm. people in its leadership. And do you ever feel the pressure to not talk about it so much? As a woman of colour, do you ever feel like people think, we wish you would just stop talking about this or change the refrain? And, and what do you feel about that? Do you know, um, as long as there is a disparity, it is a luxury not to talk about it, I'm afraid. Yeah. As long as there is disparity in leadership, in society, in our city, then it is a huge luxury. And those of us who are privileged to be in significant roles within society or the church, then we have a huge responsibility 
to, um, to highlight, not just by our very presence of being, but also to speak out. So what advice do you have for people who are wanting to be in this position, who are wanting to be able to be role models themselves, don't see people like them, what advice would you give them? And what advice did you kind of take to your heart yourself as you've been on your journey? Um, when I, when I uh, finished college, I was given a poster. And on the poster, it had these words, do not go where the path leads. Go where there's no path and leave a trail. And I've always held on to those words. I'm sure when my tutor gave me the poster, it wasn't because of the words, it, he was giving me a poster, as he had given all the others in the tutorial, a poster. <laughs> but what he didn't know was that this was going to become more than a poster. It was going to become that thing that I lived by, the words that fed me um, and sat alongside my scriptures, yeah. as it were, that I would repeat to myself, my mantra, so to speak. So I think we, um, we have a responsibility to get out there, live the word, share the word, and spread it in such a way that others will catch it. And so as a trailblazer, mm. which is what you are, mm. it can be quite lonely sometimes mm. and, and vision and casting vision and then having the courage to actually see vision through. Mm. So who is your support network and who do you admire and look up yes. to? You know, the people who I admire and look up to are people like Nelson Mandela. And I know he's no longer with us, but we have his example. Nelson Mandela, Maya Angelou, um, two of the people, um, Martin Luther King Jr., Barack Obama, who yes. I met. Oh, amazing. Yes. <laughs> He's just as handsome oh. <laughs> as he looks in the distance as well. Um, you, you know, because for me, those people have had to endure amazing challenges in their lives. The world told them no. They had to dig deep and find the yes the yes, the yes I am, because I am a child of God, and, and, and keep going. And so for me, those are the people who I will regularly read and reread as I read my scriptures, reflect on stories from their lives, things that they have said. Because you yourself have faced backlash, even with this appointment, there are, there'll be many people praising it and grateful for it and there are some people who will say no we don't agree and do you sometimes think that I guess one when you are a female and also a, a black female in that that your actual contribution can be devalued sometimes because people have it down as diversity rather than actually yeah. all the many things yes. you've accomplished that we could talk yes. about today you know um I treat those feedbacks with the contempt it deserves mm. I really do. I don't give any oxygen to it. Um, because if you think about it, where is it coming from? What is the message behind it? And, and what I see in particular, like the latter, is that it is reinforcing she is black. 
she can't be good. She is black. She can't be intelligent. Of course not. You know, it has to be political correctness. I hate that term, by the way. With a passion. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. So there is all of that, and uh, it is partly due to our history. Our history, when Europe decided that it was okay to dehumanize people with my complexion, make them less than human, and you had to make them less than human to treat them in the way that you did. So today, what we are having is the tail end of it all. So they no longer behave in the same way they behaved back then to my foreparents, to our foreparents. So what we have now is the sort of genteel way of, you know, she's black. We couldn't possibly let her have a leadership role. She is black. She couldn't possible have any leadership mm. skills. She is black. Um, she couldn't possible have the knowledge to do X or Y or Z. My personal favorite. I can't quite see her doing it. Yes. <laughs> Why? Yes. Exactly. With, with with no real reason. I once said to a congregation um, in a rural area congregation, um, if you have a vacancy and I applied for it. Would you consider me? Lady popped her hand up. Why would we? She said, we don't have any black people here. And I said, oh, how interesting. So white priests can go to Africa. They can go to Asia. They can work in our inner cities. White priests can go anywhere to anyone and be anything to anyone. But black priests can only go to black congregations. Oh, how interesting and left her to think about it. And did you, what did everyone say in the room? There was silence. <laughs> I can There imagine. was silence, yes. I've enjoyed our conversation so much Me today. I, I really don't want to bring it to a close, but if our viewers could pray for something, what would you say that they could pray for? I think the kind of prayers that I would ask for is uh, right now in our country, we need healing. Yeah. Healing of the divisions that is breaking us apart. So I would want our viewers to pray for the healing of the nation. And in terms of my ministry, um, specifically, more specifically, I would pray for God to give me the wisdom the courage and the strength to fulfill his mission. Amen. At TBN UK, we want the gospel to be in as many homes in this country as possible. Will you pray with us that we continue to work with the vision that God has given? That's one way of partnering with TBN UK. Or you can tell someone about this podcast our 24-7 programming on Freeview Channel 65 or Sky Channel 582. You can follow us on social media or give. It costs £15 a minute to spread the gospel via TV. For more information on how to join us in sharing the love of Jesus through media, go to tbnuk.org. Thank you for listening.